UK Motor Talk. The Goodwood Revival 2018. Here we are, we are at Goodwood, and as always, we have been told that we need to say hello. I'm Mike. I'm Jim. Hello. Hello, and we have said hello. So, we are currently sitting in the media centre, which is a very nice tent, retro. Although, amazingly, I had to sign in on an iPad, kind of suggested that maybe a typewriter might be the way forward, or possibly a typewriter keypad. Uh, well, it's a nice, uh, a nice mix of classic and uh, modern already, as you say, signed in on an iPad. The, uh, the breakfast was nice and modern, that wasn't uh, left over from the 1960s, that was cooked fairly fresh this morning. Yeah, no, no instant egg or, or uh, you know, some retro wartime vegetable meal going on there, no national loaf, so uh, uh, top marks there, I'd say. No spam, though. Although I do like spam. Do you? What? what really? Yeah. What about corned beef? Yeah, corned beef sandwich. Nothing wrong with that. Okay, right. So uh, for those of you who are wondering whether I'm actually, uh, you know, from the 1950s, we've proved that uh, Jim is around from the 40s. So uh, there we are. Um, yeah, I mean, a, a good mix coming in today. I actually stopped to, to help someone with a, a Lotus Cortina that broken down. And to, uh, he was adjusting his carburetors up, overfueling like mad, but, uh, but cutting out. We're stood right by the, the, the side of the airfield currently, and uh, ahead of us we can see Spitfire, a number of gliders, a stop with Camel, a Hurricane. Yeah, I mean, you can probably just about hear in the, in the background the, the sound of helicopters starting and coming in the landing, but we're really looking forward to, uh, to a fly-pass by some of, these, uh, some of these beauties a bit later on. There's also an Airstream caravan over there. I, although I'm not really a caravanist, I'm not going to lie to you, they, they don't really tickle my pickle. Also cool. But if you're going to buy a caravan, then it has to be an Airstream one because they look superb, don't they? They really do. I mean, there's, I mean, just imagine polishing that though. That would take you a long time. You'd need, a, you'd need a machine for that or a man. Yeah, and there's the, the obviously the original Jeep, the original four x four, as we know it anyway, the Willys Jeep that sat behind it. I kind of hope that that towed it in. So I think that would be amazing. Yes. Well, I'm not uh, not too sure what to expect from today, really. I've, uh, despite many, many years of, of living in Sussex and going to the Festival of Speed every year, this is actually my first time at Revival, but I'm enjoying it so far. Just the walk in and, and through the stalls and seeing everybody dressed up. It's a, a very unusual atmosphere. I think it's uh, going to be a couple of days out like nothing I've ever done before. Yeah, and, and uh, you very kindly said that I, I fit right in here, um, largely due to the fact that uh, this is pretty much how I look all the time. Well, you do. I, I just I had to dig out some clothes and, and think about it and construct an outfit. You just got up and got dressed. That is pretty much... Well, I didn't just get up and got dressed. I did press my upright clothes and, you know, polish old shoes. But, uh, yeah, as, that's, as one does, as a gentleman uh, as, as a gentleman should. Uh, yes, because I am from the 1950s. Uh, and speaking of which, just go outside and, uh, and see what's going on. So we were uh, just musing, we stood in Ennell's Court at the moment, just having a look around everything. What will this show be in 50, 60, 70 years' time? Will, will it be the cars that you and I have driven here today in, parked up, and there'll be our descendants looking at them, thinking how old-fashioned they look? Or will it still be the cars that are on display today? Will some of them survive? I think the stuff that we were driving when we first passed our test, like you had a, an old Golf, didn't you? Yeah, Mark II Golf. Yeah, and I mean, I had, you know, I think XR3s that I bought and then bought another one because the interior was better and scrapped the rest of it and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, all that, which is now classics and retro cars and everything else that goes with it together. I say, are we going to see cars like the RS here? Are we going to see hybrids here? I wonder whether we're just going to see, well, these were petrol engine cars and petrol engine cars, do we think by then are just going to be the preserve of the enthusiast? I reckon so. Well, everything's going hybrid or electric or 
any other method of propulsion, there'll be fuel cells if somebody can crack it, solar powered, etc. So yeah, if it in 50, 60 years time, if it runs on petrol, it's allowed in, or possibly even diesel, but maybe not so much. Well, yeah, I mean, and actually we saw sort of performance diesel for a while actually in competitive motorsport, didn't we? Uh, yeah, back to, uh, I think Audi first tried it for Le Mans and, and did rather well. Um, obviously, torquey engines, better on fuel, so didn't need to stop as long. So ideal for endurance racing, if not for sprint racing. And let's face it, road car-wise, BMW were, were brilliant. They had a 335, 535, twin-turbo diesels, that kind of jazz. But it's become a dirty word now. We've almost forgotten about that. In our, in our minds, we're just thinking of the sort of ego diesels and add blue diesels and that kind of caper that's about now. But actually, we've kind of lost something a bit there. I mean, Land Rover, the last sort of 20 years of Land Rover, really they've been pretty much diesel haven't they well for for lots of cars i still think diesel is the right choice if it's a a bigger vehicle a heavier vehicle or something that that needs to pull weight whether it's an hgv or you want to tow something along it's got to be a diesel still yeah i think so i mean so back to earl's course we're looking around at the moment we've got maserati in here we've got ford who are a staple uh we've got some custom cars down the other end there as well we've got aston martin and we're just going to go around and, and take a look and see what we've got we're stood on perhaps the largest, certainly one of the largest stands here uh, in Earl's Court. And I'm stood here with Howard, and I'm stood right next to the new Focus. We've got a Fiesta Active and a console over there, and you can probably just hear the sound of jazz in the background. The stand this year is uh, built around 1959. That's where we're centred in, in the Earl's Court Motor Show. Um, and what we've got for uh, our customers today is an experience of the uh, jazz band that comes on every hour, um, along with the um, swing dance team. Um, and it's a real engagement piece for uh, the customers here who come into World's Court, drags them into the stand, um, and then they can experience the uh, new cars that we have on offer, as you say, the all-new Focus, looking fantastic in its desert island blue. Um, and we've got a photo opportunity, so uh, people can come on stand, get their picture taken, and it's all free from Ford. And uh, you've got a console down the other end. Is that a personal choice, or...? Well, it fits in with the uh, 1959 year that we're, uh, we're seated in. Uh, beautiful example, of course, of the console. Uh, convertible, perfect for the weather for this weekend. Well, we could do with Otherwise, we could, I suppose, open the roof on the Focus or cut it off entirely. What do you think we're going to be seeing here? So, obviously, you're, you've gone for 1959. So, cars from maybe 2009 or 2019 in 50, 60 years' time, what do you think we're going to see? One of the sporty cars would be... Uh, the old Focus RS, you know, the first uh, all-wheel drive uh, RS that we've had. Um, such a performance car. Um, Mustang, of course, the first right-hand drive Mustang. That's got to be one for the garage. Oh, I think you've got to be right. There may be a bullet Mustang. I think that would be, uh, be maybe my choice. And uh, I'm sure you just said RS because you know that I've got one. I think that's what you said. But thank you so much for talking to us. You're welcome. BMW now. And uh, first time we've actually seen the uh, 8 Series. Um, here on a stand. I mean, the last time we saw it, and we spotted it at Geneva, um, it was just a, a plastic model. I think it looks really good. Well, I actually think it looks it looks better now it's it's finished as a proper car, which is quite rare. Normally concepts look wonderful and, and you fall in love with the shape and what they've done with it and then the, the production car comes along and it's a little bit disappointing, a little bit watered down, a little bit nullified, I suppose. But the uh, that model there is, I think, better than, uh, than concept. The lines look better on it. Um, the interior is, well, there's some sort of art deco cues in there, actually. Things like the um, interior lights up the top. 
actually really nice, a frameless mirror, something you've seen in Audi, again, massive expanses of computer screens, and I think we're probably going to be going more and more that way now. Um, the RS3, when we saw that, that was um, the same. That had a, a sort of like Google Maps, Google Earth-style uh, sat-nav system. I think that worked really well. This has a 3D sat-nav in there too. Um, I think a lot of technology in the cars, now. I think that's what people expect. And I think it's uh, well balanced as well with the colour they've got on there. The, uh, the what do they call it? Sonic Speed Blue. Was it Sli- slightly inspired by a hedgehog, possibly? It's got to be, hasn't it? Surely. I mean, if, if you're blue, it's Sonic. It's Speed. I mean, red wheels, white stripe, maybe. What do we think? Spot on, spot on. But no, the uh, the blue of the car, the carbon of the roof, uh, the black grills, and the and the dark matte grey detailing uh, or on the badges, the colour of the wheels, etc. The whole thing just fits together nicely. Yeah, we're uh, we're wandering through Goodwood now. We've just walked out of Earl's Court, and we're working our way across through the through the paddock now as we speak. And I've, you've got to say a, 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 about revival. And I've sort of I, I feel most at home here, as I said before. But much in the same way that you have at Festival of Speed, you've got the cars coming through. You probably just hear the marshals whistling to, to tell people to get out of the way here. But actually, you know, again, there's no way you can get so close to some of these cars. But just everyone, the effort that people have made, it's unusual now to see somebody dressed in in modern gear. And you know, you don't really see jeans and a t-shirt here. Almost everybody is dressed up, and there are some. Some very smart and dapper-looking chaps, and some some very beautiful dresses and, and gorgeous outfits uh, on the ladies as well. And it's it's a style I have to say I absolutely love. Uh, in all seriousness, people have made a proper proper effort here. You know, you see even entire families have dressed up the kids. They've brought vintage uh, prams and push chairs and and alike for the, the kids to roll around in. It, it is superb. Well. I think this is uh, one of the biggest Bonhams collections of cars I've ever seen. Graham Benj. I'm talking to Joint CEO Malcolm Barber. Malcolm, this is which is probably one of the biggest, broadest, most diverse collections of cars that I think you've bought to revive. I think you're right, actually. I mean, we have, uh, we have filled the tent with Exotica and outside in the lawn in front. And again, it's what's so remarkable is cars from all eras i think from supercars to uh, early pre-war classics and uh, and vintage it is extraordinary that you've you've got cars that were once part of the royal household and, and driven by members of the or uh, chauffeured by for members of the royal family and at the other extreme you've got the uh, ferrari la ferrari but your speciality i think is the is the royal household cars i've been associated with those for some time exactly they've actually come from the factory from bentley motors at crew the uh, phantom 4 was in royal use by her majesty from 1958 till 2002 when the factory actually took the car back it was on view at sandringham as well it's one of 17 cars Phantom 4s remaining. So, uh, and it's, it, I, I've never seen a Rolls Royce from the Royal Household used by Her Majesty, particularly for her use, built to her order on public offering. No, neither have I. I. It is quite extraordinary that they're available. We did notice, and it's picky maybe, but a cigarette burn hole in the back seat of one, we suspect that might be Princess Margaret. <laughs> oh, well, a lot of people have commented. I can't say. There, is no, there certainly is a cigarette burn on the, on, the, on the rear seat, that's for sure. But as you say, there's also the last Seraph built by Rolls-Royce at Crewe, and here we are right next to Rolls-Royce at Goodwood, of course, the last long wheelbase Park Ward Seraph built at Crewe as well, and the last Corniche 4. So it's quite a historic lineup we have there. 
and of course from locally, from a elderly gentleman from the Lavent uh, Motor Club, his Ferrari Lusso in very, very original condition. That is absolutely beautiful, isn't it? It's it's in extraordinarily good condition. That we we've had this conversation before, but about rarity and value, and it seems to me that that. That is not an expensive motor car compared to some of the more modern Ferraris. Um, indeed, indeed, and we and we've seen the fly the the prices adjust as it were in recent years. Um, but that's that a long term ownership, very original car. It's what people are looking for because if they are going to restore, they want to restore from the chassis up and do it themselves. They don't want something that was partially done a few years ago. So that is possibly and matching numbers all the things that tick the boxes that uh, make them desirable i know there are an extraordinary collection of ferraris uh, racing over the course of this weekend possibly one of the biggest collections they've had let's move on to the, the the very very latest ferrari this is the la ferrari aperta one of i think a total build of what will be about 200 catalogues suggest five to six million that's, that's why I asked the question. You know, I, I know that 200 is quite rare, but it is a new car, essentially. It, it is. It's, um, it's, it's one of those that's difficult to evaluate until the bidding stops. They're not easily available. As you say, rare. People have bought them to retain them. Very few on the open market. I, well, we haven't handled one before. So there we are. We're going to see it at Goodwood tomorrow. When one sort of gets the impression of perhaps an ageing rock star who's clearing out his multi-spaced garage because there are a number of um, uh, Lamborghinis and, and the like favoured by rock stars. Is that possibly the case? You're not going to name names, I know. but uh, Well, we have got two, two rock stars in the sale. Yes, indeed, we have. I can't name names. Well, one's in the catalogue, I think. It is. Yeah, Keith Richards, of course. But uh, um, there is another one as well. I can't remember if we did name him. Um, and very, very synonymous with his cars as well over the years. Perhaps if we talk tomorrow, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, the Keith Richards uh, Dino, I mean, the Dino is one of my favourite cars, I have to say. I, I thought his was not that expensive in, in Dino terms quarter of a million, 300,000 but, but his is a little less than that I, I wonder why that is, you'd have thought that that would have, with that association would have been dearer Yeah. well it's, it's again we have to listen to the consigners and, and what they're looking for for a car, sometimes they don't want to push it out of reach, they want to just let the market tell them what it's worth and again long term ownership price might not be the biggest concern at the end of the day We've seen people live through peaks and adjustments. They've come down again and then sell them later. At the end of the day, the car is possibly still worth more than when it was when they acquired it. Well, I have to say, the, the, the last time I drove a Dino, uh, they were peaking then at 50,000. So that was in the early 90s, you know, so there's a, a considerable increase in two decades. We can, we can all remember those. And it wasn't that long ago, actually, when you think about it. But I think that's priced accordingly. And um, let's see what the celebrity value puts on top. I think you can't, that's something you can't evaluate. Well, let's, let's throw the big question at you. What do you think total value? What's, what? you, you've, we've known each other for many years. You know I will never say that. Um, we'll tell you at the end of the day. All right. Well, I wish you every success with the sale. It's a wonderful collection of cars. You basically built a museum here. And I'm delighted that a large part of that museum is actually outside and, and the general public can see it. Thank you for your time, Malcolm. Great to be here. Thank you so much. One finds the most extraordinary items in the automobilia section. These are, in front of me, boxes and boxes and boxes of 
original bits from 1930s Maseratis. Perfect if you own one and it's a lot of interest here because these are all new or as new parts. They are really quite extraordinary. A nose cone not even painted yet in this extraordinary juxtaposition racing driver overalls and one that really caught my eye particularly unusual from the 1930s a car mascot of Josephine Baker African-American dancer who um, was at the top of her profession in the Paris of the early 1930s and shown wearing her famous banana skirt well it wasn't entirely bananas it was banana leaves but that's expected to fetch several thousand pounds because it's by one of the great French manufacturers of the period. And just below that, a Mercedes-Benz W196R, as driven by Sterling Moss. This is the Streamliner. Gorgeous motor car. This is a very, very large model of. This is actually of Fangio's car. He was, of course, teammate of Sterling at that time. We're stood in the paddock at the moment, and there are a lot of cars here, as you imagine, that are attracting a lot of attention. But one that's getting more than most is a Rolls-Royce pickup. Rolls-Royce pickup. Not, not two words that normally go together, are they? No. But it, is, it is a Rolls-Royce, and it is a pickup. Uh, and it's actually quite a pretty thing. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful shade of grey. It's got very nice leather inside, very plush, soft-looking leather. Um, and it's clearly been recently restored, and it's a support vehicle. This has been built as a paddock support vehicle. Yeah, just having a little look into it, it was actually converted by uh, Essex-based specialist coach builders Clark and Carter. Uh, this one was uh, had been converted before. Someone had actually hacked it up. Uh, by all accounts, it had been painted quite crudely, covered in bits of wood and, and had a gun rack, we approve, uh, and also a drinks cabinet. Again, we approve. Uh, so, I mean, if you're on your own land and, you know, you've finished your, your, your day of shooting and entertainment and you've, you've driven to where you want to go and you've responsibly stopped and just want to sit down, chill out and enjoy a drink, what better way to do it? And for those who think it's a, a little bit sacrilegious chopping up a Rolls Royce, well, well, it is. You're quite right. Uh, but this one, this mm. was actually the uh, the second attempt. It was almost a, a restoration and reconversion. It had been converted before, but as the uh, as the guys uh, said when we were speaking to them, it it looked like a hillbilly had tried to uh, to convert it. So they they took what was an already a ruined car and turned it into actually something really rather special. Yeah, and it looks it looks kind of right actually. I mean, the way that they've done the conversion, they've obviously taken the tail end of the roof and um, sort of bonded it with the rear quarter light. They put the um, front doors in there, and the rear doors are completely missing. But it, it is a beautiful sort of coach built thing. Um, I mean, I guess we've seen Rolls Royces converted into hearses and things in the past, but what a fantastic way of being able to travel with your classic race car. Um, I mean, just the whole thing is just absolute class. I'd drive it every day. So would I. As we know, Goodwood is more than just the track and the fashion and everything else. There's also a load of stands on the other side, including uh, Porsche Classic, who are here. They've got a 911, which is, to you and I, an absolute basket case. It's covered in rust, there's holes in it, and on the other side, there's some of the, the best fab work I've ever seen. My name's uh, Steve Walker. I work for Porsche Cars Great Britain, and we're here promoting the classic side of the business. Um, basically, what we have here is an example of a body shell that can be restored. 
Um, now the difference is with Porsche, we try to re retain as much of the original body shell as possible when we restore it. So where we see sections of corrosion on it, in many cases we'll cut that corrosion panel out, some sections of it, and if necessary, if we don't have the panels, we'll actually um, make a panel. So we have guys here today doing some demonstrations of their skills where they can make panels. And this is an example of a car here where we're demonstrating what can be done on the car, um, even to the extent now where once the car, basically when this car would be completely stripped, they do all the metalwork repair, and now the cars, the original body shells, will actually go through the production process and now have a full galvanized body shell from Porsche Classic. So it's basically to try and get the cars in a state once they're repaired, it will last an awful lot longer than what the original body shell was designed to do. In terms of the, uh, the nuts and bolts and the oily bits and also safety features that go back on the car, are there any modern tweaks, uh, modern improvements that are made to the car to make it safer? Other than, realistically, more modern suspension components, although they are the original style, they may be um, gas-filled or oil-filled shock absorbers specific to a customer's requirements, and more modern tyres. But other than that, pretty much the car goes back as original as they can. They will normally make wiring looms as well, so if there's wiring that needs replacing, they'll do, if necessary, a whole wiring loom. Brakes maybe as well, because brakes now will be maybe different component manufacturer, so the, the quantity of iron and steel in the brake disc may be different to improve the brakes, but although they're still original style, so that's the only side of things that tends to be different, and like I say, in the modern tyres as well. I think it makes a lot of sense for us, and the, the price of, of classic Porsche is just climbing and climbing at the moment. I remember when a 911 would have been quite achievable I guess for, for most people if you, you wanted one and you know, when I was a kid you see them sort of blasting around you know, red with the, the black whale tail on the back but I was always had a hankering after a 944 uh, and, and I think they've not quite realised the same values yet but I think they're every bit as good a car if that's the kind of thing you're after I don't know what your thoughts are you know, no, <laughs> <laughs> no it, it's uh, 911s have always been like the, the classic icon that everyone wants to own and hence the prices in recent years they've gone up in value certainly on the air-cooled cars and even now some of the later water-cooled cars again are holding their values and there's a good way into you know Porsche 911 ownership but it's each to their own person in terms of what they like from a car 944s are a fantastic car we can again still get many many components of those cars now and they can restore 944s as well but it's just not the same values wise as 911 so 911s are cost effective to repair at this moment in time 944s if you want a perfect 944, uh, Porsche can do it. Uh, any of the classic centres can do it in the UK or Porsche Germany, and it's just a case of um, how much you want to pay. Yeah, I, I can understand that entirely. I mean, there is one, one thing I'd like to ask. What do you think of um, the sort of more recent, sort of like the singers that we've seen appear with ridiculously high-powered engines and and a sort of a, a modern car, I guess, and a classic body show? What, what's your thoughts? Personally, I think it's quite a nice development, and the singer cars are done to a very, very high standards, and they still keep mainly the original body shell. They may strengthen them and improve them in certain areas, and like you say, they improve the engines and suspension. Uh, personally, I think it's a good thing because it retains the original look and a lot of the original good characters of the car, but they still have a lot of like modern engine running gear in it to make it an everyday usable car. I agree with you. There's a lot that you can do with these things. It's really nice, actually, just to see them all being saved and loved, and it's really nice and refreshing to see that manufacturers have started to adopt this approach towards an interest in their classic vehicles. And 
there's a whole range of parts you sell here that are that are all new and uh, and obviously reproduced as well. And it's 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 really refreshing to see. I'm talking to a gentleman in the Bonhams auction, a gentleman who we've already discussed as um, the passion stroke obsession of owning classic cars. Your name, sir? Alan Baxter. And you were telling me you have a couple of barns with a number of cars in. Well, alas, yes. If you have lots of space, it's very hard to stop collecting more and more wonderful cars. I think you should talk me through the list. <laughs> well, um, the first one, I'm in here now to look at a car which is almost identical, was an Aston Martin I bought. And this is way before prices started to escalate. And it uh, was at an auction. I thought I'd buy one. I had some money suddenly from a, somebody impeding my natural light in my office in London. So I spent it on this car. Uh, and it's a joy. It's an open uh, Aston Martin from 1955. And just driving in uh, Lincolnshire, where I keep most of them, it's a really great pleasure. So since then, about another dozen or two dozen have arrived. And, it's <laughs> and of course, I don't dare, I never sold one. Uh, but of course, they are worth a hell of a lot more than I began with, all of them. Uh, most of them, you can never tell, but it's, it, it's very dangerous if you buy cars as an investment. They, they, they're going to come down, I'm sure. There must be an upper limit of how many foolish people there are like me who fall in love with them. Anyway, this Aston Martin is a joy, and then along came an Alvis from the 1930s, open. Though most of them are open. And then a Lagonda from the 30s, a beautiful drophead, which is stunning in dark blue. And another Lagonda. Um, and a, a 1920 Rolls-Royce Ghost, which is really terrific. It's like a modern car, but um, doesn't have modern things like front wheel brakes or anything like that. But it goes like a bomb if you want it to go that far. Uh, and uh, bum, bum. a Bristol, a very, very beautiful car from the 1950s. And this is where Britain was one of the best countries in the world for car design in the 1950, well, 1930s, uh, along with um, Italy and Germany and France. But they were beautiful cars, really fantastic. And the 50s and 60s, they were great as well. And then, whoom, they all became a bit sort of uh, blobby. So I stopped at about uh, 1962, a TR4 I've got, perhaps that's the last one. An E-Type, quite a lot of Jaguars. Um, an E-Type, which is totally beautiful, um, utterly impractical. Uh, because uh, you can get a toothbrush in if you go away on a weekend trip. But that's about it. But they're beautiful, and that's what they're for. Uh, and a couple of other XKs, uh, all open. And a Mark II, um, with an opening roof. And a Mark IV from 1948, um, which is a pre-war car, but it was the first after the war. Then, what else? A Bentley from 1955. Um, and... Uh, uh, Morgan, uh, um, gosh, is that enough? Um, 
I'm sure I'm forgetting a few, but they're all wonderful. I, I, I just go into these barns and think, wow, isn't this beautiful? A bit like in this tent for Bonhams. They are beautiful cars, and then maybe a few today are okay, but somehow they don't have the same allure. But this, but this is like a... I know it's an auction sale, but it's, it's like a major car museum. There are many car museums worldwide that don't have as many cars as there are here today. No, it's just wonderful, you see. That's why we're all here at Goodwood. I mean, if you come regularly, that's great, you see. You can't not enjoy it. It's like going to the National Gallery if they keep finding more paintings of the quality of Rembrandt. We couldn't resist it, you see. So they are beautiful but they are a different art form to the normal accepted one. So I find it very interesting because I like conventional arts and I like architecture and I like car design, engines and steering as well as their beautiful bodies. Aghast at the, the amazing collection that you have, a stunning collection. Thank you very much for your time. Of course, there's a lot of famous names here too. We got up with Karen Chandock in a very windy, very noisy collecting area. Uh, this is my fourth time here. So uh, I missed last year, which sounds like I missed the bad weather. Um, but yeah, always, always happy to be here. Excellent. And uh, what are you driving this weekend? I'm in a McLaren uh, M1A Can-Am car. So uh, a hell of a beast. It's, you know, it's uh, over 600 horsepower or something like that. And uh, it's, it's fairly terrifying in the Whitson Trophy. But unfortunately, the, the gearbox, we had a gearbox issue in um, qualifying. So uh, it, I didn't even do a lap. It broke down on the out lap. You know, you look at a GT40 and anybody who's got any, any love of cars or race cars We'll look at a GT40 and say it's just one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen. And of course, you don't get a noise like this with hybrids and electric cars, do you? So, no, and I think that's part of the fun of coming to Goodwood. You know, you get a chance to, to hear cars uh, from from an, from an era gone by, and and as you say, maybe we'll never get cars to sound like this again. And uh, it, it's a it's an interesting crossroad for Formula One in particular. You know, do they? Do they go down the path of being entertaining and loud and, um, you know, get big loud V8s, V10s back in? But then they run the risk of becoming out of date and, uh, and I don't know, you know, you speak to modern kids who are, you know, only used to listening to modern cars and they, they come to some place like Goodwood and think, oh, the cars are too loud for me, I don't enjoy it. And they like listening to hybrid electric cars. They think it sounds cool and futuristic. I, I, I come from a different era where I like the sound. Of, I mean, I just drove the Montoya 2004 BMW car, you know, a V10 engine, 19,000 RPM, unbelievable amount of power, and, and the noise was incredible. And to me, that gave me goosebumps just driving it. Um, you know, just driving it at Goodwood, let alone driving it at the, I, mean, I drove it at Silverstone as well, but it just gives you goosebumps listening to the thing. And, well, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe the future is different uh, and kids today want something different, I don't know. So maybe the revival in, in 60, 70 years time will just be whisper quiet or hopefully God, I hope not. not. <laughs> hopefully they'll keep it like this. Karun, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes. Have a good one. My name's John Brigden. I run bespoke rallies from Surrey, Cranley, and uh, we organise car rallies, classic car rallies, all the way around the world. 
And the next one we got coming up is in the Pyrenees. That's next week, so we're giving ourselves a big task coming to the show and then going off to do a rally. And then in October, November, we've got the Grand Prix of South America, which is a month-long event going from uh, Buenos Aires all the way up to Cartagena in Colombia. And you've got someone uh, quite special waving off to begin, I understand. We do, we certainly do. Uh, we've got Fangio's son, Oscar, coming to wave us off. Uh, we went to see him recently. He's a lovely, lovely guy. He's full of stories about his dad. He did some racing himself. He understands it. And he runs the, the museum down at Balcasa in Argentina. And he's going to bring some of his cars, some of his dad's cars, up to the start as well. So it's going to be a real... And, and the TV are coming, and they all want to interview him. He's sort of famous there. And they're all coming up to see him wave us off. Obviously, we've got a Fangio Coupe car. We've got two or three of those coming along. We've got Bentleys, early, early Bentleys. We've got... Uh, we've even got everything down to uh, Ford Escorts, actually. So we've got a, a very broad range of cars. I think maybe uh, a rally escort would be, be spot on there, actually. Probably. Something like Fev 1H, you know, the... Uh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, the rally escorts, I have to say, they don't often compete in classic car events, but we've timed it so we get the Mark 1s, uh, just to see what would happen, to see how good they are. But, of course, it's a month-long event. You've got to keep your car together. They're not quite as robust, perhaps, as a Fangio or a Bentley. So we'll see what happens over the months. But we've got mechanics there. It'll help them out. You wouldn't mind just sort of giving Fangio Jr. A, 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 a sort of a ride? Would you just come along with us? You know, I'm sure we'd have some pointers. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm, yeah, exactly. So I, I think he's going to come. He's going to stand at the start. And he's probably going to tell everybody how they got to drive in Argentina. You know, I'm sure he'll give them more tips. <laughs> I don't think it would be a bad way to spend a month, to be honest with you. Do you? No, not at all. So uh, just tell us a bit more about what somebody can expect so if they turn up on, on day one. From our point of view, we organise all the logistics, basically. So we help you get your car to Argentina, we do all the hotels, we do the mechanics, the marshals, meals, the rescue, we've got doctors, paramedics, you know, we've got everything. All you've got to do is put petrol in your car and then buy your beers in the evening, basically and enjoy the enjoy the ride and we're going over you know that rally we go up to 4900 meters which is really high we even sleep at just over 4000 meters on a few occasions so we've got doctors with oxygen and everything like that to make sure you have a good night's rest um, so yeah we kind of provide the whole package uh, and that's what our expertise is on the on the logistics and you've got a number of events actually coming up over the next few years as well. I mean, is there, is there a favourite for you? Is there one that you particularly can't wait for? Well, yeah, I have a lot of favourites, actually. I mean, one of them is I love India. I just adore India. And, you know, if, if, I had, if someone said to me, you've been exiled from Britain, where, where are you going to live? I'd probably live in India because it's such a fantastic place. Uh, so we have one there. But we have them in Scandinavia. We have them in Tasmania, Sri Lanka. Um, and also we've got Madagascar. Madagascar, and fantastic. We've got Madagascar coming up, and I don't believe anyone's ma uh, rallied in Madagascar before, so we're, we're, doing, we're, we're sort of being the first there. And that looks like fantastic fun to me, I have to, it has to be said. Yeah. Yeah. It does. So how, uh, how, how did this all begin for you? What, what got your, your passion for rallies and for classic car rallies in particular going? How long have you got is, is the quick, <laughs> quick answer. Um, I mean, I started off as a motoring journalist. Well, actually, I started off as a newspaper journalist on local papers. Motoring was my passion since I was knee-high. And uh, so I got onto motoring magazines. 
Then I got to working for large companies like Rover, uh, organizing events for them. I ran the mini rally team in the 90s with Paddy Hopkirk uh, as my main driver and Tony Dron, the journalist who's actually driven at Goodwood many times. Uh, they were all my drivers for three years. We did the Nürburgring 24 hour, we did Monte Carlo three times, we did uh, the uh, RAC rally in Britain. Uh, and then, of course, um, BMW owned it, and then they decided to sell it for a tenner. And all our jobs kind of went at that point. So uh, I thought, well, I'm still on my cars. I'm going to go rallying. And uh, thought I'd organize them for people. So I organized my first two or three in India, and then started to expand around the world, and then started helped other people set up rally organizations, and thought, actually, I can do it better myself. It's definitely worse ways to make a living, I'd say. It's not too bad, is it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, someone's got to do this. You, re you realise that, don't you? I mean, someone's got to go out and do the hard miles on all this. But I think I, I'm happy to do it. I, th I think it's, it's very brave and very bold of you. So th this is the way we've, we talked earlier on about uh, restoring the cars, about collecting the cars, about the future in maintaining them as well. And this is really just a good way of, of being able to, uh, to enjoy it, I think. People should have their cars. They should take them out and drive them. And this is the best way to do it. Because you not only do you drive your car... We have mechanics who help you look after it. You see the world, you know, you kind of drive the world in your classic, I suppose is the easiest way to say it. And uh, I think it's just such a wonderful way of seeing the world. You meet fantastic people everywhere you go. They, they love to meet you, talk to you, find out who you are, what you do, you know, and everyone's fantastic to us. And, and that's what we like. We like meeting them. We like in, and also, I'll tell you what, you get a camaraderie of drivers and co-drivers and people doing these events and they come time and time again so in the future sort of bearing in mind that you said you carry mechanics with you and obviously spares as a result yeah. could you see a future where actually you might be towing along a 3d printer or something and making parts <laughs> on the fly well i don't know i don't know that's quite a good idea actually i might have to have a special truck with one of these 3d printers stuck in the back uh, but I, I tell you what I can see is um, trying to do an electric car rally at some point. And I, that is in the back of my mind, to try and do one in, say, Patagonia, where you, where you wouldn't normally take an electric car. Um, so I, I will, you know, I'm, I've got an eye on the future as well as on, on the past. So Goodwood, uh, we're here to say the revival it is a fantastic event. Have you got a favourite car, driver, a race that you've had to disappear off or you couldn't just absolutely couldn't miss? Well, for me, it's got to be the St. Mary's Trophy, I'm afraid. It is such a fantastic race. And there are people who I've known over the years who've driven in it and perhaps still are. I just think it's fantastic. You know, the minnows and the giants, you know, actually that, that, that battle, which reminds me when I used to go to Brands Hatch, you know, way back in the 70s and 80s, watching all these cars doing the same thing when they were new. And so, no, St. Mary's Trophy is the one for me. Kinrara is good in the evening, you know, that's a lovely race as well. But for me, I love, I just love St. Mary's. So what can I say? Well, I, I can't say I blame car. you. It's yes. got my cars in it. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, if you're a fan of using the cars, I mean, the guys don't hold back, do they? They're out there and, and they are wheel to wheel and, and sometimes more than wheel to wheel as well. Yeah, they're exchanging paintwork, let's say, occasions, yeah. That's racing, I guess, isn't it? Thank you so much for stopping and talking to us. Thank you very much. Yeah, pleasure. I'm talking to Jamie Knight, director of Bonhams, one of the leading auctioneers who's going to be hosting the sale. If one is buying, what should one look for in, in the car? What's, what, what are the tips? 
from an auctioneer's point of view, what's the best things to look for? It's not up to us to tell people what car they should buy. I think what they've got to do is determine what sort of car do they want to buy. And it's simple things like, do they need two seats, four seats? Do they want automatic? Do they want uh, a manual gearbox, open, open or closed, British or Italian? So really, there's, a, there's an absolute plethora of, of different types of cars that we offer at each of our sales. And I think what, um, what people need to do is come to... Uh, a view such as here where we've got over 100 motor cars here um, different periods different styles of cars walk around the, uh, uh, the the view and different cars will provoke different reactions for you and I think once you've discovered the type of car that obviously matches your budget as well the type of car that you like the idea of that is when we can come and help you and then then we can start talking you around the car, telling you what's good, not so good about the car. My job is for people who buy a car to know exactly what they're going to get. So if there's a car that might need a little bit of work, for them to know that, and then um, they can factor that into their budget as well. But it's like a holy trinity. There are three primary factors that people need to, to think about. One is condition, the other is originality, and the other is provenance, which is a fancy word for history. And a car that can be described as, should we say, best in class, whether it's an Austin 7 Chummy um, or a racing Jaguar, um, if it is a particularly good example, that is the sort of car that collectors should focus towards because that, when they do think about selling, is the type of car that's going to be uh, an easier car to sell for them and who knows they might make a turn on it as well. But of all your buyers I suspect that the majority uh, buy to hang on to the car whereas there is a smaller number that are buying to invest or to sell on. Yeah that's right at the moment the market has sort of softened a little bit since the heady days of 2010 to 2014 and it has calmed down and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I've lived through the late 80s and early 90s where we saw a huge increase and a nasty correction. And I think what we've seen is the market sort of giving off a bit of steam here now. And what we're doing is we're primarily focusing towards the out-and-out -out collectors, the sort of people that are going to buy, love and cherish a car, keep it, use it and enjoy it, and not wear those, shall we say, investor glasses. And because the market softened a little bit, we've seen less speculators, less investors come into the market, which means that the true collectors are primarily bidding against like-minded souls who want to buy the car for all the right reasons. Talking to John Paulson, who's uh, looking after, well, in a marquee full of rare cars, this is one of the most rare, I suspect. And we're actually seeing it body off at the moment, which is extremely rare. <laughs> yes, you never really see an F3L at all, let alone with the with the insides of it revealed, with the DFV and the Hooland uh, gearbox out for all to see. So, yeah, pretty much a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for most people and uh, one of the most stylish and sensational sports prototypes ever, unclothed. So, yeah, it's pretty exciting.
Ford got Alan Mann to design and build this car as the successor to the GT40 and they were very very quick in the race that they did in 68 but quite undeveloped but they were getting there with it they were getting more and more reliability uh, when sadly the uh, the finance was pulled by Ford so they never really achieved everything they should but they're a, a sensationally quick car in period I think every race they ran them in they started from pole and or got fastest lap so yeah tremendous potential that was never really fully uh, realized in period sadly. So hopefully this will go racing again, or is this likely to end up in a museum? Oh, I think this will definitely be bought by a racer, and that's certainly what we all hope. A car that's as special and as exciting as this, you want to see out on the track being being used as the makers intended, and I'm sure I'm sure whoever buys it will want to do that with it, because it would be uh, a real shame just to leave it parked in the garage. I mean, it is a wonderful fact that there are no races for such cars all over the world. Oh, yeah, you can have a great race at a sensational circuit, be it in Europe or North America or really anywhere. So, and you'll be at the front and you'll probably get the mo- more attention than any other car on the grid. So whoever buys it, no matter where they live, they're going to have a lot of fun every weekend with it. These gentlemen opposite look very interested. They've already tried it for size. So, you know, is this, is this the sort of thing that happens? Somebody will come along, they'll have seen this in the catalogue and think, I must have that. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, it's pretty much a unique opportunity to get a Ford F3L. So we've had quite a lot of interest from some pretty uh, uh, serious and educated collectors. And obviously, they want to come and uh, uh, you see it in person and see its quality in person and try it for size to make sure they uh, they can fit. So, uh, yeah, it happens quite a lot. And now we've, we've had a lot of interest in this one, which is quite exciting. Now, what was this in the, the catalogue for? Uh, it was a sensible amount of money, I thought. Uh, yeah, it was a very reasonable five to seven hundred thousand pounds. For what it is and for the fact that it is so unique and so competitive, that's a very reasonable sum. Do you think it'll go a long way over that? Uh, we certainly hope so, and yeah. we'll, be, we'll do our very best to make it go over that, but uh, well, we'll find out on Saturday, I suppose. But as I say, we've had, we've had serious interest and it's been very well viewed, so uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens tomorrow. Hello, my name's Edward Smith, otherwise known as Ed. I work for KW Heritage. I head up the heritage offering of that company, which is subdivision of KW Special Projects. We're based in Brackley, uh, North Hants, uh, soon to be based at Vista Heritage. We broadly exist to remanufacture parts for classic vehicles, be they cars, motorcycles, aircraft, marine, whatever people want us to remake really. We employ in-house 3D scanning in order to capture the shape and the form of components. We then use that data to model components in SolidWorks CAD. We can then go straight to casting or machining, turning milling or uh, laminating components or 3D printing components or we 3D print prototypes to verify our designs. What we've done, as we've, as we've been wandering through here, we can see uh, a race car, it's now from my own, it's all absolutely covered in dots. Apart from the fact it looks like it's got uh, some sort of acne going on, can you tell me what it is you've actually been doing today? The means of scanning, our scanner, as I mentioned earlier, is portable. Because it's portable, it always needs to know where it is in space as we physically move it around the, the object, in this case, the Alfa Romeo. The the way of teaching it where it is in space is to apply an array of reflective dots or targets. We then initially log the position of those targets using the scanner by running the scanner over the complete form of the car. 
the scanner then knows where it is relative to a minimum of any three dots at any one time. Once it's learnt that, we can then go ahead and scan the form of the car. And that's what we've got in front of us here. So there's a big screen and, and actually the entire body shell of the car is now represented in front of us as a 3D model which you can navigate and work your way around. But it's not just an entire car that you can scan. I mean, this means you can obviously make replacement body panels and the like. There's an end plate cover here on the side. There's also some ducting as well. And that's obviously would be either cast or, or machine later on. But as I understand it, you, you make the 3D model that you can improve the design if you want to and then basically make it in plastic before making it as a, a full finished piece, as a concept. So you can actually develop the, the, the product and refine it. Yeah, that's correct. One of the fundamental offerings that we like to try to put across to people is that we like to work with them and we like to understand precisely why they need to remake the part. Uh, it may be because uh, stocks have run out, it may be because the part has failed over time, it may be because the part perennially fails and they just keep repairing it. But as you suggest, once we get to the point of having scanned a sample, be it failed or otherwise, and then modelling it, at the point of modelling it, we discuss what improvements we can make. Because at that stage, it's very easy to add um, perhaps material thickness, or to add some webs, to add some bosses, to add other features that will make the component a better product when we remanufacture it. At that point, we can then go on to confidently recast items if it's a casting in question knowing that we've not only remade the original bit but we've optimized it and we've improved it such that it'll perform better in future brilliant engineering i guess you could actually use this as some sort of insurance if you have a, a classic racer get you to come and scan the car first just in case i, I you know i bin it or something and then you could you could make me the new bits back up you're very well briefed <laughs> very likely to crash I think it is <laughs> you're very well briefed um, we call it digital archiving but um, it is an insurance cover so the Alpha um, a Jaguar D-Type which uh, was one of our very first projects we did whole body scans and it, uh, it, we try to impress on people that with these rare vehicles if you do nothing else scan the bodywork, scan the complete form of the bodywork because in many cases either the original tooling to um, form perhaps aluminium panels as was traditionally made or to mould glass fibre panels like on the Alpha here might not exist or if it does exist it takes an age to try to find it or it's mm. damaged when you do find it or expensive, so, or expensive. so just scan your bodywork mm. that way if you have an accident or something else or fire whatever you've at least got that digitally archived uh, on the server and you can work with that and make panels in the future I think it's, it's a great thing to be honest with you. It, it does mean that the parts that we, we wouldn't be able to find or manufacture otherwise you know you're able to prototype make develop and and I think it's, it's a great way of keeping these cars going for, for future generations if people want to find out a bit more uh, about what it is that you do um, or, or to sort of see us uh, online what's your, your web address so people can look you up so if you go to www.kwspecialprojects, all one word, .com, uh, there's a link uh, on the menu bar at the top to KW Heritage, and you'll find KW Heritage there. And you'll also find all about KW Special Projects, which deals in many engineering tasks and projects 
far removed from heritage engineering. We're involved in far more contemporary, groundbreaking projects, and you can find out details on that. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks for your time. So we are stood in the collecting area, um, and what am I looking at? Uh, you're looking at a C2 1965 uh, Corvette, big block Chevy, and um, makes all the right noises. <laughs> absolutely. Not the moment, of course, because uh, the Duke is, is out doing his, his speech, so we're absolutely silent, unusually, in the collecting area. Normally you can just hear revving and, uh, and well, just, just noise generally, but it's, it's a bit quieter down here. And uh, you've got a couple of drivers out today. Uh, yes, um, my, my son who got the entry, so he gets to drive today, and we're very fortunate uh, to have Derek Bell, which is quite an honour, a five times Le Mans winner, so I'm sure he knows how to make cars last and look after them, so uh, no, very honoured, so uh, wonderful. Uh, and he's a, he's a local chap, obviously, as well, and uh, Goodwood, uh, some would say, has cut his teeth here, really, he knows the circuit, I'm sure, at the back of his hand, um, so yes, I'm, I'm sure we'll be in, in very safe hands, but first time here for the car, I understand. Yes, it is. We've owned the car now probably a couple of years. I've, I first drove it for a friend of mine who owned it at Spa, and it's pretty ungainly then, but we've done quite a bit to the suspension. Um, we haven't really touched the engine, but it's had obviously new suspension, gearbox, and, uh, and we've had a few issues with obviously overheating brakes, a car this weight. So we really do need to find a way of stopping the seals cooking, which is, you know, everything with a heavy V8. <laughs> Interesting sticker on the back of that, the uh, the Jiffy Bag Special. What's uh, what's that about? Yes, it was when we when we bought the car, we half knew the, the sort of history, but the, the deeper we've delved into it, it's been quite you know, wonderful, really, to actually have a car that's had a bit of history. We didn't really think that, and then um, we entered it with Goodwood, and also Goodwood found history of it as well, and that it it ran with um, with the AC Cobra of Ollie Bryant's. There's, there's pictures of it in period at the same meeting so quite a nice bit of history really well smashing yeah always uh, always fascinating to find out the history and of course i suppose it makes it quite a, a good investment as well if it's got history particularly around goodwood always uh, adds a few pounds to the value of the car as well uh, i'm i'm sure it does a little bit but the thing is they made so many corvettes um they're not ever going to be like the the cobras i suppose but uh it's just nice to have something like this in the stable, really. So uh, we've got vintage Bentleys as well. That's what we normally race. It's similar, but, but different. <laughs> Practically modern, then, by, uh, by the difference. I understand that these are quite lively to drive, but uh, would you like to be out there yourself on the track? You've got no idea how much I want <laughs> to be out there. It's hurting me big time. But my son, as I say, did all the effort in getting the entry. It's only right that, that he did it, so... Um, no, he, he's absolutely loving it. He's a little bit apprehensive, but my goodness, it's one. You steer it on the back wheels, and of course that costs money with tyres and things, but great fun. So, and, the, and the management system is, is the man or, or lady behind the wheel, basically, isn't it, when it comes to something like this? Uh, management is standing behind it, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very keen for you to bring it, for it to be brought home in one piece, then, I should think. Yes, yeah, she's um, keeping an eye on it, and, uh, and the pennies as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, quite right. Um, I mean, there's no two ways about it. You know, Racing it in, in any form is never cheap, and um, all I can say is fair play to you for bringing it to an event like this. So many, you can see how packed it is, people who want to see this go around. Um, arguably the most popular race uh, of the day. No, no, museums are graveyards, and uh, this is the best place to have them. Even, I mean, we're starting at the back of the group because we couldn't get practice in properly with obviously dodgy brakes and things, but we've put brand new calipers on, so we just hope <coughs> that it lasts the race. I'm sure it will, and we're really, really looking forward to, to seeing it go around. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you very much.
we've reached the end of uh, Goodwood Revival 2018 and it's uh, it's been one hell of a weekend really I think isn't it a good mix mix of people mix of cars uh, some Mary's trophy for me that was it that was uh a 45-minute race mix of uh, the owners of the cars themselves and some professional drivers. And, uh, and neither the entrants nor the professional drivers really were paying any attention to the value of the cars or the rarity of the cars. Uh, it was just 45 minutes of, of flat-out competition. Really, really spectacular to watch. What a race. Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, you can see them slow demolishing the, uh, <laughs> the chicane as they're going round uh, and coming through. There's a little Tiv that was absolutely superb. TVR Griffith just uh, sort of working his way up through the pack and, uh, and sort of finishing himself up in, in, in third position. Uh, just absolutely screaming past. Sounded like a Formula One car, that thing, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It sounded we had the, uh, the, the rumble and, and the thunderous sound almost of the, uh, the Cobras and the Corvettes. And uh, yeah, it was just a, a completely different sound all on its own. I think the only one in the field and uh, yeah, very unique bit of kit both uh, in looks and sound yeah I, I think definitely and just the way it's sort of it's just the size of it compared to the Cobras which are a big car but not big in the same sort of way as some of the uh, sort of the Plymouths and uh, and all that, uh, that the sort of larger American cars I guess that were thundering around when you compare it to something like a, a GT40 for example which is a, a fair slab of car but it did, did seem very small and to be honest, I think it was kind of all the better for it. Just you can see it just outbreaking everything. It must be the weight of the thing going through the corners. You know, it's really quite impressive. Oh uh, well, yeah, certainly looked nice and uh, nice and nimble. Not as uh, balletic maybe as the E-types would be the best way to describe them. Just all look quite serene and graceful from outside the car as they just floated from corner to corner. But inside, one hell of a work rate from the drivers, just soaring away, pulling on the opposite lock through the corners. Just phenomenal to watch. And, and you would enjoy that because that is your typical approach to pretty much any corner, isn't it? Really, I mean, when you go sort of in full bore and then just sort of saw your way through it. Well, yeah, it's chuck it in as fast as you can and sort of deal with what happens after that. It's fine. Sideways is what happens after that, as, as we've seen. But, uh, but I think what I particularly like about this, and I'm not sure that many people do, but I love the fact that races of the period have number plates. And I have to say that we were uh, chatting to the owner of a uh, Type 26 uh, Talbot Largo earlier on, um, and he was saying that uh, in period, uh, when the car was uh, run by... Uh, Cuff Miller, he would have just, you know, chucked the uh, the wheel arches back on because they just unbolt for your racing, uh, and indeed just had the number plates on there and just driven where you needed to go. Um, and he was said he he will do exactly the same when he goes to load it up tonight. You know, he'll just pop the number plates back on and and away we go. Yeah, it was odd. We th thought it might be a bit intimidating or uh, a bit sketchy to drive on the road, but he said no, it was a, a complete pussycat really. He seemed to quite enjoy driving it, whether it's on the road or on the track, and and why not indeed. Yes, and, and I've got something else to be thankful for. Uh, um, the constant sound of cobras thundering past 45-minute race seems to have cured my hearing. Uh, I've gone completely deaf in one ear, but now it seems to be fine, so great. Or has it just ruined the hearing in the other ear, so you're deaf in both ears, but at least they're both the same? I think, yeah, that, that's entirely possible. But do you know what? It's equalised itself out, and that makes me quite happy. Um, so there we have it. The, uh, the cure to med medical ills is just speed. Speed and, and loud and... I don't know, some sort of violence perhaps in, in terms of uh, aggressive throttle control. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's been great. I mean, we're sat here now, we're, we're sort of looking out across all the planes again. There's a, a band playing in the background, just uh, 
there's a sort of very chilled vibe as it gets to the end of uh, end of the day at Goodwood. Everyone just seems to sit back a little bit more, relax, you know, sit there with an ice cream or something similar, and uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like it'd be just a very good place to be. So, if you were going to take a car home, and we always do this, and we you know we have a, you, let's face it, you would need to have a lot of money, and I mean sort of lottery win money for some of these cars. What would you be taking home and thinking, you know what, I'm going to take that out and I'm just going to hammer it around a track because this is my car, I want to race it, I want to run it, I want people to enjoy it like the people do here. I mean, let's face it, they could be entirely selfish about it, and but actually they, they bring the cars out for everyone to see um, and just enjoy the things. I mean, what would be the car for you? Well, there's a, a selection of 250s. I mean, that would be fairly high up on most people's list. Luckily, there seem to be enough of them to go around here to, uh, well, for about half the people here to be able to take one home. So it's uh, always an odd sight just to see a dozen or so Ferrari 250s parked up with, with nobody really paying them too much attention. I think it shows how, how special and, and how rare pretty much everything is that, that a 250 can go largely unnoticed. But I think, it, yeah, close between a 250 and... Uh, um, well, probably to be fair, the uh, the Stingray that Derek Bell was driving today looked like he was having a bit of fun in that, uh, or uh, maybe one of the E-types. Yeah, I mean, the E-types, iconic and obviously rocketed in value in the last few years, but a beautiful car. Um, I think for me, it's got to be an Aston Martin. I mean, uh, you know I'm a fan of an Aston Martin. They are a lovely looking car. You know, I felt very special jumping into the new DB, uh, DB11. That's that is a nice bit of kit, that really nice bit of kit. Um, but I think probably a DB4 GT. I mean, obviously we know uh, we saw bottoms before at Festival Speed too, that went. But uh, you know, just not necessarily a, a Zagato, but just a, a DB4 GT would would make me a very happy man indeed. Um, not because I think I'm just a poser driving it, but actually because I think it would just be quite something to drive. And I think I would feel blessed to drive it hashtag blessed <laughs> <laughs> to drive it I think that would be uh, that would be great fun but yeah I mean there's, there's, there's so much stuff here that you, you see and think oh I want one of those I, yeah I like a, an MGB GT or an MGB Roadster there's a load of Series 1 Land Rovers here and I, I like those a lot um, but yeah. I think the uh, yeah the, the grey road going E-Type uh that, that was for sale round that round to the side of Bonhams. Actually, the, there was no price on it, which means I definitely can't afford it. Uh, even if there's a price on it, I still definitely can't afford it. But that that just struck me as rather pretty and, and just beautifully restored. So maybe that one. I mean, I can't even sell a kidney or something because, frankly, I'm, I'm probably not worth that much in bits. Um, as a breaker, I, I guess you could you could probably you could probably argue. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's some absolutely uh, beautiful cars here that you'd probably give you. Left arm, right eye, something rather to, you know, to, to take home. Well, it wouldn't make driving very difficult. Um, as always, we are suitably tired now. It gets to that point where you, know, you can cover some serious mileage, Goodwood. You know, we will do you know, eight miles a day just to bring you the, the inside story. You know, what's going on behind, um, behind Goodwood? And we hope that you've, uh, you've had a chance to, to have a listen and, and enjoy what we've uh, managed to find and who we've managed to speak to. I mean, we've looked at the period racing as it is now we've looked at maintaining the cars we've looked at running them and we've 
we've looked at the future of them as well. You know, if you consider the processes that are required to keep these things going, we've looked at people in, uh, employing old school techniques, but also the very latest and the cutting edge of technology, you know, 3D printing parts and design and even scanning entire vehicles. So in theory, if you wanted to, you could build a replica, you could build uh, an electric hybrid, um, you know, Formula One car of years past if you wanted to. I mean, a ground effect car probably fit all the bits in quite nicely, I should think. Um, yeah, you could you could build pretty much anything. You see what you like, and and you could build it. But it's it's lovely to see actually one of the the fears you'd have all the way along the the lines watching these cars races. If one of them does get smashed up, can it be replaced? Can it be fixed? But now we know that with technology, yes, it can. Absolutely. I mean, the only thing that. Uh, that you, you have to work hard to keep, I think, and, and it's difficult to, to convey, as we've said before, but it's the fizz that you get when you're stood in the collecting area and just listening to everything start up and go. And I think that's possibly my favourite thing, is the fact that, yes, you can see the cars going around. Arguably, you could probably see it better on, on TV, you know, seeing the cars go around close up, but you will never get that feeling in your gut and everywhere else, if I'm completely honest, when they fire up and drive off. It is pretty incredible, isn't it? It's, uh, it's just thunderous that the noise resonates through the grounds and off the buildings and, and yeah, it just gives you that goosebumps, makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. It's, it's just wonderful. If, uh, if you've never been, really do make the effort to get down here. Uh, there's plenty of hotels nearby, camping on site, etc. So ha however you need to get down here and stay here, do make the effort. Yeah, do. And you know what? So many people come here, and we've said before people make the effort in dressing up. Um, and to be honest, it's worth coming here just for the car park alone. Uh, when I was on my way home last night, I mean, admittedly not period, but uh, I jumped into a DeLorean, a, a chap had driven over from uh, from Holland, I think it was, and was quite happy just for me to jump in and, and have a look and a play. Um, but there was, you know, period Porsche rally cars, there was uh, a Hillman rally car out there, there was a whole brace of, uh, of, of Jaguars in one row, and then on the other side, you know, there was just, well, there's so many, so many to continue it on, you know, there's, if you you name it, it's a rare, classic, precious car, people have driven them down, they've made the effort to drive from across Europe to come here, uh, and it really is, uh, it's really worth the go. I guess all that really remains from us now is to say uh, thank you for, for listening whilst we prattle on about the things that interest us and hopefully interest you too. Um, it's been a great few days here. I've really enjoyed it. I always really enjoy it. And I think you have too, Jim. I have. I've absolutely loved it. First time at Revival and uh, definitely won't be the last. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.